When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on wearing a mask while running, work emails on the holidays, tipping for hotel meals, and the debate over second baby showers. For Awesome Etiquette sustaining members, our question of the week is about paying someone back for some help years later. Plus, your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript where we check in with Lizzie Post on the writing of the 20th edition of Etiquette, particularly the entertaining at home chapter. All that's coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of our home offices in snowy Vermont and is proud to be produced by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. Hey, cuz. Good morning. I have to thank you because as we are going through the now editing process of the first half of the 20th edition that will be submitted to the publisher in a month, um, you've been really great about getting me feedback when I need it. And I just have to thank you as my my colleague, <laughs> like, because it makes such a big difference. It, it This is a huge amount of writing. I mean, I'm, I'm what's the total? 97,234 words into this. But who's uh, counting? 120,000 <laughs> word book. And um, <laughs> I feel a little like I haven't left my house truly in days. I have. I don't but, think you have. <laughs> <laughs> but it really has made a difference when I've I've needed to say like, hey, I need you to read this and get back to me on it. Um, and and we're at this point where the timing and the the response to things is like really crucial. It's been a big help to have you right there helping out. So I want to call you out and say thank you. <laughs> well, you are most welcome. And when I saw writing and editing in our show script, I said oh, the only contribution <laughs> I added was me too. Because <laughs> he is. <laughs> and while I've been there the whole time, I am your interlocutor on this project. This is the first time I find myself in that immersion experience with you. <laughs> Actually working on the text and the manuscript. And um, similarly, I've appreciated the direction. I've appreciated also the incredible um, effort that you've put into this. The thing that you don't know that I, I sort of saved to tell you on this particular <laughs> podcast intro. You sneaky devil, you. <laughs> you have totally inspired my wife, Pooja Senning. What? She has watched this work product uh, arriving from you and it's totally inspired her. She... She knows you. She knows you well. Thinks yeah. of you as a as a person that she knows, and, like a friend. Yeah. And, and and to watch you tackle this task and to be 
actually doing it. And, and it is a big task. She's just really impressed. And I've watched her internalize it the way I, I oftentimes see her do with these things as a sort of call to action in herself. Totally. I see her sort of looking for those things that are going to push and challenge her. So anyway, Yay! I just wanted you to know that that was going on on my home front. So Pooja's just sitting over there going, oh, Liz completed another chapter. I got to I gotta go work on my business. <laughs> that <laughs> novel I always wanted to That's write. Nice. That nonprofit I always wanted to start. That It has been. A, a... It's inspiring is oh, what I'm good. trying to say. <laughs> oh, good. I No, and that, that keeps me going because it is the biggest project I've ever worked on before. And it is, I mean, it's, it's what, like four times the size that higher etiquette was. And that was the most recent book that I've written. So it's, it it does feel kind of like, like maybe instead of having one baby, you're having five or four (laughs) at once. I think you said quintuplets. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But it's coming along. It's happening. I'm really kind of appreciative to have other eyes on it now too. That's always a big part of the writing process is that you go through these stages where you really don't want anyone else looking at what you're writing. <laughs> like, And it, it's hard. It's a vulnerable space to be to put so much time and effort into something and to also know that at this stage, it's it's not at its best. It's not at its good enough and that it requires the critique and the, the constructive criticism of others to get it there. It's like it's it's this kind of like vulnerable turn that you make in the writing process where you're kind of like riding this wave of confidence because you're actually getting something done and you're putting thousands of words onto the page. And then you're like, oh, but what are they now? We've got to make them really good. You know, (laughs) like (laughs) I'm getting a kick down and I don't know if you are, but of what we've what what I've missed as we go through like. We, we didn't talk about hats on indoors. And I'm like, we have to talk about that in appearances, you know, or white after Labor Day is one of like our most searched questions. Like, we can't forget that. Um, I feel well, like the- there's this running list right now of like things we can't forget, things we can't forget. Walking around a room with a speaker in a speakerphone conversation when others are present, like <laughs> awkward. <laughs> and you never know what you don't know. You can try. <laughs> it's true. It's true. That's okay. So now you have just identified my biggest fear with this, which is, oh my gosh, what, what, what is the collective one thing we're all going to miss? You know what I mean? That someone just, that everyone else is going to go, hey guys, what about this? <laughs> and of course, this is then what editors are for. And, and, you know, and even with that, there's always going to be something. But yeah, anyway, that's my mental status, right? now where we're at with projects well when you are wrestling with that feeling of vulnerability mm-hmm. definitely remember this podcast you can even replay this intro and know <laughs> that it is also inspiring true true yes and thank thank puja for letting you share that on the air i really appreciate it <laughs> um so the other thing i was thinking about today is this could be a nice little break what do you mean, break? <laughs> We've got some questions to get to, guys. Oh, oh, you mean like the podcast is a break from writing? Yes, and it is also inspiration for writing. So I think we should definitely get to some questions. Let's do it. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions. You can email them to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can also leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette. 
Just remember, use the hashtag awesome etiquette with your posts so that we know you want your question on the show. Awesome etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, Mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Our first question is titled, Running a Risk? Hi, Dan and Lizzie. My question today is about mask etiquette when running. I currently live in the Portland, Oregon area, and I go on a long run, 6 to 13 miles, every Saturday. I frequent many of our city's pathways and sometimes hiking trails. Yesterday, I was on Leaf Erickson Drive, which is an old road that is in the middle of Forest Park. It is now exclusively used as a trail for walkers, hikers, and bikers, and it is connected to many of the park's other trails. The road is about 10 feet wide and allows for two people running in the opposite direction to say more than six feet apart. I usually bring a mask with me in case I am closer than six feet from others for longer than a few seconds, but I don't run with it on the entire time. I work in an environment where I have to wear a mask almost the entire workday, but I find it uncomfortable to wear during long runs. I passed two women who chastised me for not wearing a mask. This has never happened to me before. In passing, I let them know that we were six feet apart, probably should have just ignored them, but clearly my remarks in passing likely didn't convince them. Ha. I have done research and I know that the risks of transmitting COVID when outside and distance are extremely low, but when it comes to consideration, respect, and honesty, Is it more considerate and respectful to wear one anyway? How considerate do I have to be when it feels like an unnecessary precaution for someone I will never see again? Should I be wearing a mask if I am passing anyone at all? What is the etiquette for masks and running? My only other wrinkle 
is that when I'm passing people who are running two or three abreast and make a show of putting on their masks, they come into my six foot radius for a few seconds. And I usually don't put my mask on, but they're entering my six feet because of their decision to run side by side. And I don't want to put my mask on because they've decided to enter my space. I'm interested to know your opinions on this. Also, when I'm on a hiking trail, do I make a point of stopping and putting on my mask and stepping off the trail to leave room? Sincerely, Catherine. Ooh, these are great questions. I agree a thousand percent, Lizzie Post. Catherine, thank <laughs> you for submitting this question. And I want to start off by just applauding your approach and your thinking that this is complicated and subtle territory and the ground's shifting all the time and your willingness to really look at your own actions, look at other people's actions, think about it, ask yourself tough questions and 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 still have your opinions and your perspectives, but take into account that other people might be seeing things differently than you. I think this is where good etiquette really begins. So bravo. As far as the actual questions that you're you're asking, the the first thought that I would put on the table is that if there was any question in my mind coming up about how people feel about something that impacts public health like mask wearing, I would pay very, very close attention to whatever the guidelines or rules are. And it sounds like you're doing that, but I would hew to them as a way to to really protect myself and feel good about everything that I'm doing. And I think that's one of the places where I would really get rigorous with myself. I would ask, Am I following the letter of this law? And because people have slightly different opinions about it, I think that's the way that I end up ultimately feeling the most comfortable, whether or not I agree with every way that that rule or law is applied, whether I agree that I'm following the intent of the law, even if not the letter of it, or I'm my actions are in accordance with the purpose of the law, if not the letter of it. For these kinds of cases, I would stick to that letter of the law just while we're all navigating this and figuring it out together. Dan, I do think it's really important to like lean on that that letter of the law as a, as a base. It's always kind of a good place to go back to, right? I mean, like rules of the of the establishment is something we often talk about as a, as a place to lean into when you're uncertain and safety is an issue. But a lot of times it's a little more confusing confusing. Um, and they like, I know not every state has really clear, uh, like some don't even have a mask law or, or an ordinance. It's a suggestion or it's a, you know what I mean? And so I, and I'm not sure what Oregon's position is, but as Catherine has stated, masking and six feet apart are, are two of the things that really help. One of the things that we also know is that doing more than just one effort makes it so much better. It, it just helps your percentages so much um, in terms of, of um, likelihood of, of catching it or spreading it between the two of you. So while it is true that six feet or more apart when you're outside is, is usually thought of as pretty good, most of the running uh, articles that I have read related to COVID also state that because you're only passing people for a couple seconds, that it's just a very unlikely scenario to catch it in. But if you do put the mask up and have that six feet or as much of the six feet as you can get, I think you're that much better off. And one of the things that you asked, Catherine, was about, is it not considerate even though I know I feel safe with it? And I think that doing both of the things right now is if we're going in the world of like thoughtful and considerate, 
that would be thoughtful and considerate in my mind would be both when you go by someone, just quickly pull your mask up. Or if you have a mask that you hold in your hand, if that's easier, then that just go for that along with creating your six feet of space. Catherine also did mention trails and there are times on trails where you can't create that six feet of space without stepping off the trail. And this is a toss up. If you're in an area that you know is environmentally protected or that they are trying to get regrowth close to the trail, I might consider turning my back to the person that I'm passing and putting my mask on, but maybe not trying to ruin the environment. We end up in a lot of situations like that in stores where we're indoors. This is outdoors. I personally would feel safe doing that. I would also make sure to offer to the other person, you know, just a small mini negotiation of, do do we want to step off the trail or do we want to, you know, like go back to back? Like, because I think there, there might be places where the trail could be really tough and there's not enough room. I'm thinking of like a little rock ledge or something that I've often gone around on trails in Vermont. Dan, there's some stuff like that near your house. <laughs> like, but those are, if we're going from the consideration angle, I think we're going to try to do everything because you don't know the comfort level of the other person. Nobody knows whether they've, they've got it or not a lot of the time. Um, it, you know, you can be asymptomatic and still pass it. And so I think that doing the most that you can is probably the, the considerate way to go. Particularly in those places where you find yourself bumping up with other people and, this is one of the unfortunate byproducts of this pandemic is that those outdoor spaces that were used to providing us some room and some space in our life, even those places yeah. have new social distances that we have to get used to. And that's that's tough. I so understand that desire for just running and being mask free yeah. and – the other piece of advice, Lizzie, I was thinking also not knowing the running world as well as you do. Are there things like handheld masks that people carry that are easy to, to get up and down? Or I, Yeah, I see people do all kinds of different stuff. Some people run with the shield in front of their face and don't worry about putting a mask up. Others have a little like gator or something that they, you know, they pull up over their face while they're passing. Some people just run with their mask on. I always applaud them. I think that's amazing. I can't, I can't do it. But uh, people have all kinds of different things that they do. But part of it, I also think, is is showing that you're making the effort and whether that's moving your body away from someone, turning your face away from them, but giving them a wave and a high still. You know, I, I just think it's showing that you're willing to try to make the effort to not breathe on them when you cross paths is a good thing. Um, and I also just want to give voice to the the frustration that Catherine uh, uh, allowed us to see a little bit when when she said, you know, why sh I'm creating that six feet and those other people who aren't willing to drop to single file, you know, they're going two abreast, three abreast are invading my six feet, even though they have masks like what the heck. And I think for the same frustration that you feel someone else might feel like, boy, you know, I know that they're six feet apart, but like, come on, like, if you just put the mask on too, it would be that much safer. You know, I, I can hear frustration from other points of view. And I have also just totally been in Catherine's position where I'm like, like, I try to create space because that's the important thing for me. <laughs> and like, you're just so annoyed that, that someone else is, you know, uh, doing their version of they're they're putting up kind of one defense, but not multiple. Catherine, this is such a great question, and it's something that we're going to continue to have to deal with. So we really appreciate a chance to look at a couple different sides of it. Thank you for this question. 
viruses, and there are many different kinds of them, can be scattered with each particle of saliva and mucus. When one sneezes or coughs, for instance, just remember how breath becomes visible on a cold day. How then, with so many germs surrounding us, can we avoid having colds all the time? Our next question is about a grumpy greeting. Hello. Great show. I have listened since the dinner party days and love your advice. Two questions arising from the holidays. I am self-employed and get many clients who email or text holiday wishes to me, including Christmas. So this Christmas Eve, I am alone due to COVID sheltering rules. My adult children live out of state and in Europe. And I get an email from a client at midnight. I open it expecting a greeting for the occasion, and instead the client, with no hello or salutation, states, there is a typo on page 3, paragraph 6, in the word, blah, blah, blah. Please correct and resend via email. That was the entire email. No sorry to bother you, no thank you, no warmth. I felt really bothered for 5 or 10 minutes at this intrusion into a holiday with a work request, and I admit it threw me off track. It was already hard to feel festive when alone and the lack of greeting did not help. Then I decided to feel sorry for someone who was focused on finding errors at midnight on a holiday. Sigh. My question. So are there no longer hours to reach out? In this day of instant sending of texts, emails, and other media, can one ignore weekends, time of night, and holidays, and send work demands anytime? Or is the sender under some obligation to confine their communication? I could in theory call someone's phone and leave a message, but I wouldn't at 3 a.m., why send an email? And yes, there are programs that delay sending and programs that mute incoming. But as I said, I get warm greetings from many clients on the holidays. If you wonder, I replied, this is a matter that should and will be addressed in normal business hours. I never got an apology or response. This was not a document of any urgency at all. Thank you, Constance. Oh, Constance, I'm sorry that that's what your Christmas Eve holiday was was like. I I I just I feel for you. That is that is not fun to kind of have like a a work frustration and awkwardness thrown into the middle of kind of an already bummer of a night. Um especially when you often like those like you said you've exp your clients over the years have sent things that are nice. <laughs> and so opening it up and and having it just totally be not I think it's tough. Dan, one of the things, you know, if we're going to like my my brain jumps right to if we wanted to give the sender any kind of benefit of the doubt, it would be in that a lot of people do assume and and that's a tough word we know, especially in etiquette, but a lot of people do assume that people manage their work life and and set boundaries for it for themselves. And I think especially as we do so much working on the go, um, even though now our on the go is often at home, I feel like there's a, a sort of consensus that we are the ones who are in control of, of when we choose to look at things, you know, how we choose to respond to them, if we, when we choose to deal with them when it comes to work. And it's not always the case. Some, some jobs, it's not like that. Some jobs, it is that really in demand. But I do feel like if I was going to give the sender of that email, which isn't a terribly impressive email, um, it's, you know, it's, it's not really like we would say, Hey, address the person. If it's a holiday, yes, 
like allude to that, like take those little politenesses that are going to soften this because we see what happened when the person didn't. It came off as as rude and pushy. And the the only thing I could think of is that they weren't expecting you to open it that particular night, but maybe, you know, the following workday. That's the sort of generous benefit of the doubt yeah. that I would give as well. <laughs> Real I'm, thoughts now. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I guess like Constance, I'm just disappointed in the email yeah. in general that regardless of when it arrived, basic courtesies still matter and they matter all the time. And one of the reasons they matter all the time is you don't know what other people are experiencing. You don't know which holidays people celebrate necessarily or what they've gone through that day or how that project that you're trying to reach them about is going for them. It's just it's impossible to know. So making those basic courtesies of acknowledging someone as a person by using a salutation are so important. They're important all the time. So cultivating those habits is is one of the themes of this show and I think this is a really good illustration of why we advocate for that. The question about the the work-life balance and how we draw those lines and set those boundaries is one that has perplexed people forever mm-hmm. and it hasn't gotten any easier as Constance acknowledges in a world of such instant and immediate communication. I think like you, I've recognized an emerging courtesy, particularly around email, which mm-hmm. people oftentimes do have buffers in terms of the way they set that up and think of it as professional communication mm-hmm. in a way that lets them do some of that regulation that you're talking about. I'm not going to answer work emails after dinner mm-hmm. or all kinds of decisions that people make like that. I, I do think some of those courtesies, it's funny, as the communication becomes more intimate do still apply even in business. So mm-hmm. you, you wouldn't text someone necessarily at 3 a.m. Nope. <laughs> because the likelihood that that phone is on their person or near them or could wake them up or that, that the the time that you send that would communicate a certain uh, immediacy, urgency <laughs> that mm-hmm. might or might not be part of the message as happened here. So there is kind of a line for me that says email work focused. I'm going to ask and think of it as a place where people are regulating and deciding for themselves when they are going to answer it, when they're going to read it. For phone calls and texts, particularly things that I know come into someone's direct line, not to a business number, I'm going to be much more careful. And I'm going to think more about that traditional 8 to 8 or 9 to 9 window that a lot of people think of as being the acceptable hours for polite social or business calls. And if you're thinking of sending a business email and it's one of those late night hours or possibly a quiet holiday evening, remember to just think about saying a nice little sorry to interrupt you in the evening or, you know, please wait, you know, feel free to wait until the, you know, next business day to handle this. Like, it's okay. Like email, one of the great things about it is it really is okay to to send stuff whenever but how you do it makes such a difference and it would have made such a difference to Constance on what was, a, a you know, just kind of lonelier Christmas Eve. These are the stories that remind me to slow down and take that minute to add a little courtesy in. Constance, thank you for this reminder. Let's learn some ways to be kind and considerate on the telephone. It's really very simple if you know three words, please, thank you. And I'm sorry. Our next question is titled, Hosted at a Hotel. 
I really enjoy the podcast. Thank you for making it informative and entertaining. Because of my job, I am sometimes hosted at hotels and instructed to have meals charged to my room. Sometimes I have left a tip and then wondered if the host also tipped. Other times I haven't and hoped that the host did. Every server should receive an adequate tip, but whose responsibility is it, mine or the host's? Thank you for your help, 20% tipper. Ah, 20%. Thank you so much for this question. The the quick answer is that under most circumstances, the host is going to be covering that tip. And by most, I mean just about everyone that I can think of. Yeah. And for most people, the easy route to go is just to include the tip on the bill that is being charged to your room yeah. and sign for it that way. It's standard. It's easy. And it really is considered part of that meal's expense. No, you're absolutely right, Dan. You you should leave a tip no matter what. And and that is true whether you're in the restaurant or at the bar or or some other part of the facility um and charging to your room or whether you're getting room service. And with room service, there's two things that you want to keep an eye on on that bill. Is one, is there um already a gratuity charge on it? And two, don't mistake the room service charge for a gratuity. It's it's just like the delivery charge is not the tip for the driver. <laughs> um, it's the same thing. And so and you can the, always ask if yeah, you're not sure. Exactly. You can always ask if you're not sure. Um, but you should feel confident. What what I don't think is happening in this situation is that when the person who's covering your uh, bill at the hotel, including the meals, I don't think that they're going back to your meal bill and adding a 20% tip afterwards. That I would think as of as unusual because Very typically unlikely. on a yeah like on a restaurant charge you have to write in and sign for that tip and there's no way for them when they're on the other end when they're rectifying that bill with the credit card company or with the hotel to add that tip or I mean they they might inquire about it but it it I, I don't think it's likely so I I would say make sure that you're leaving a tip every time and clearly you understand and know that the server should I mean you you stated in your email. 20% Tipper, thank you for this question and for one of the funniest sign-off signatures we've seen in a while. What can money be used for? What is money, anyway? It will pass through many, many more hands before it is worn out and withdrawn from circulation. Our next questioner wonders, is a second shower a spectacle? Hi, Dan and Lizzie. I'm pregnant and have been using an app that includes message boards for expecting moms. Congratulations! I saw a debate on one that I'd love your take on. Someone asked if it's trashy to have a baby shower for her second baby. Lots of people, including me, have given the Emily Post answer that I've heard you discuss on the podcast before. Baby showers are only for the first baby, although a sprinkle could be appropriate for the second. I was surprised to read a lot, capitalized, of responses saying that it is 100% okay to throw a second full-on baby shower and comparing baby showers to birthday parties. A couple quotes from the message board. Do we only celebrate one of our birthdays? No. Why should we only celebrate one of our pregnancies? Why does everyone think baby showers are gift grabs? Do we think birthday celebrations are gift grabs? Every pregnancy should be celebrated. If you love or care about someone, it would never bother you to celebrate them and give a gift. 
And if everyone feels another shower is so trashy, don't ever throw your kids another birthday party. I don't plan on getting into any internet arguments, but I'm curious. How would you respond to someone who made that comparison to explain how these two things are different? All the best, Alana. Alana, thank you so much for asking this question. Dan, I've, I am having a moment of fear that we might have led our audience astray. Me too, but it can't be too far. I know, I know. And so we definitely want to clarify. I know that we have discussed sprinkles, and sprinkles specifically are smaller versions of showers for a second or third child that's coming into the family. And I just want to say, while I, I noticed that a couple of the comments mentioned pregnancies, that showers are for any new child entering your family, and that it's it's really good to be inclusive when you're talking about celebrating, you know, the, the growth of a family, which I think is more what this is about than than pregnancy specifically. But we do believe that, I mean, Dan, I know you and I both feel this way personally, and I'm certainly going to be checking up on our, our website and stuff, but we do believe that it's okay to show throw a shower a new shower for each child it just happens that a lot of parents for second and thirds and, and beyond either don't throw them or choose to throw the sprinkle because you're already really well set up right absolutely and i think the the history here will give us some some clues on how to answer some of the contemporary questions so okay for me the big difference between the the shower as a gift giving event and the birthday is that the birthday event is annual. It happens continuously throughout someone's life, whereas that yeah. that celebration of a, a new baby or someone joining the family, it's a one-time event, a big celebration. And once upon a time, sort of looking back into a world where we just didn't have as much stuff, preparing right. new parents or preparing someone to be a parent for the first time meant helping out. It meant getting them the stuff that they were going to need. The crib. The, the linens. The, the linens. The yeah. Blankets, the whatever. Bottles, blankets. Yeah, totally. Exactly. And it was, in many ways, the, the view was that once that was done, that job for the community was done. So that was how the, the idea about one shower, first baby, connected to gifts, historically arose. And yeah. the modern thinking about it is much more. One that's celebratory. It's not just about the stuff quite as much. And that changes and shifts the etiquette a little bit. But that traditional idea continues to exist. So sometimes communicating an awareness of that tradition is part of the way you might choose to communicate about deciding to have a second shower. Hence, things like the sprinkle or the book theme <laughs> shower or showers right. that really de-emphasize gifts. Alana, I want to thank you for bringing this to our attention. And it, it's always good for us to self-reflect. And sometimes when we hear our own advice echoed back, we go, oh, wait a minute, we want to edit that a little bit. And I, I just appreciate what this show offers in terms of being able to have things grow and change and expand, or being able to clarify so that we can have advice that I think works for more people. But this is, you know, showers are are definitely, as Dan said, right now about celebration. And for each child that's coming into a family, that is perfectly appropriate thing to do. 
Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can also leave a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or reach us on social media. On Twitter, we're at Emily Post Inst. On Instagram, we are at Emily Post Institute. And on Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your social post so that we know you want your question on the show. If you love Awesome Etiquette, consider becoming a sustaining member. You can find out more about this by visiting us at patreon.com slash awesomeetiquette. You'll get an ads-free version of the show and access to bonus questions and content. Plus, you'll feel great knowing you help to keep Awesome Etiquette on the air. And to those of you who are already sustaining members, thank you for your support. It's time for our feedback segment where we hear from you about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. And today we're hearing from Barb on the question about returning a video game from last episode. Thank you for reading and discussing my question on episode number 331 regarding the Wii game that was borrowed. My 20-year-old son subsequently handled it perfectly. He reached out to his friend that had his Wii game from 18 months ago. The friend returned the Wii game to him. My son ordered his friend an identical brand new Wii game off the internet and had it shipped directly to his friend's house. It was a good lesson in talking things through and considering other people's feelings. Thanks so much, Barb. Barb, that's all. I love this. This is direct feed. Like I did just. I love the like show to show, getting the follow up right away. Barb, thank you so much for writing in. We're so glad that it got handled well, and that your son was able to to take care of it on his own. That's awesome. I hope he's enjoying the game, Barb. Thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please do keep them coming. You can send your next feedback, update, or question to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can also leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today we're going to talk about the process of writing the 20th edition of Etiquette. And this is a little bit of a risky topic. And I asked Lizzie if she would be willing <laughs> to just let us in a little bit. And if there was something in the book that um, that we could return to. I know we've talked a little bit about this book as we've been developing it and it's been a little while so was he post can i ask you a few questions can we check in <laughs> let's do it i think uh we had we you and i had discussed um kind of dissecting the entertaining at home chapter which is the largest chapter in the book um it's got the the most amount of info and i think it'd be it'd be really fun to share the process especially because Right now, we're living kind of the hardest part of it, which is where you're really trying to make sure you get everything that you need and want into the manuscript. Um, late, later, we'll edit it down, but um, but this is that process. And so it's a lot of thinking about a topic of etiquette and what what really belongs within that topic. What do we what do we experience within that particular topic? So yeah, f fire fire away, cuz. <laughs> so well, let's start. Let's start with the obvious question. I know this chapter got big quickly, which to me yes. tells me there's a lot of stuff that comes to mind when you think about entertaining at home. How are you sorting it? What 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 are, what are your big picture thoughts about entertaining at home? <laughs> it's like we said, the whole subject is is really large. When you think about entertaining at home, 
it's everything from a, a neighbor's drop by visit to, um, you know, uh, hanging out with your friends in your home to like throwing actual events, you know, parties and, and barbecues and, you know, whatever, whatever it is. Um, but actually putting sort of more focus and emphasis and formality on it. And, even within that, then there's there's formality, right? There's the dinner parties that we have that are the classic, like you know, you and the the other family friends that you you know and are in the area, or your kind of tight knit social group, all come over. I'm thinking of when I was a kid, that was the Phillipses and the Aronsons, and you know, when whenever it was like a Friday night, my mom would say, hey, do you guys want to, you know, come over on Friday night for dinner at our place? And it, it was that kind of a feel where it wasn't like a, a hard party to throw, but it was definitely dinner with guests as opposed to like, yeah, and more than like when a friend comes for a sleepover and we have an extra guest in the house, you know what I mean? This is more than stopping by. So, um, obviously this, this chapter needed an entire rundown of the classic dinner party. And so, um, I have to interrupt exactly the first thing that I think of what I think Emily posed entertaining totally. at home. <laughs> <laughs> the tablecloth is out. And if there is a second set of China or something, maybe that's on the table. Totally, totally, totally. So so basically this chapter starts by breaking it down into kind of the different types of, of gatherings that we do with then a heavy focus on the dinner party. So the sections that you'll find in it, hopefully, again, who knows what will make it in the end. But the idea is that there's the sort of casual entertaining, which is like drop-by visitors, a good hangout with a friend, an impromptu dinner or gathering at your place. Um, I can remember in my 20s tons of times where, you know, after – the bars closed down, we would all go back to someone else's house or where you're out for a hike with friends and you all say, hey, let's do, you know, pizza back at our place in a movie. And everyone says yes. And it's nothing you had been planning on, but it just kind of pops up and all of a sudden you're hosting, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. And I, I want to sort of lead you into another direction, which is something that I've heard you talk a lot about, which is the ways that you're trying to draw some of the lessons that are imparted by the formality of that sort of classic Emily Post dinner party vision that I was talking about into some of those other spaces that are the spaces that we are most likely most often and, and many people are operating in regularly where it's not such a formal situation, but that role of the host is still so important and or, or the guest. I mean, I think that's where we're leaning directly on the host guest etiquette, which is actually a totally different chapter in the book. Oh, boy. <laughs> Yeah, no, host and guest etiquette is is a little bit more generic and and we like grouping it together. So, it's kind of one of those I th I think of it more as your your everyday type manners, the stuff that you're going to prepare yourself with to kind of be someone who can participate well in your community or in society. And the entertaining at home is really specifically you being the host. So it is written from that perspective. But those casual gatherings, they draw on all those classic hosting skills. You might not be putting the chips in a really fancy bowl when it's just your girlfriend stopping by, you know, for like a drink after work or something like that. But you're still going to be in the hosting 
space. You might still offer a nibble and a, something to Absolutely. drink. Absolutely. You know, and it, it kind of run, you hear a lot. The basic is, you know, you at least offer someone a glass of water. That like That's kind of like the, the bare minimum. So after sort of those casual entertaining environments that we find ourselves in or situations we find ourselves in, it was time to dive into the classic dinner party. And that was sort of broken down into into two different parts. And of course, one is the planning of the classic dinner party, where you're thinking of size and formality of the event, the the date and time of it, the guest list, the menu and decor that you're going to use, invitations, following up on the RSVPs. And then no etiquette gets, around that. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> you know, it gets to the place where you're even, um, you know, setting the dinner party table uh, from like a sample menu. And one of my favorite Favorites, which is sort of creating a countdown timeline for yourself to get everything done in time. Mm-hmm. And that goes all the way up to that 15 minutes before the party when you get to chill out for a bit <laughs> and like get yourself into, into host mode rather than prep mode. Um, but then it launches you right into hosting the classic dinner party and the, you know, the doorbell rings or there's the knock at the door and you're greeting guests. You've got a cocktail hour to get through and a dinner. So we sort of talk about inviting people into the tables, how to manage serving and clearing courses, conversation at the table, and how to manage it when the conversation turns ugly. Y'all have heard us talk about that a lot on this show. And then dessert. I Dan, for, for you and for many, I, I really didn't want us to lose the after dessert coffee or, or, you know, talking about the idea of serving coffee at the end of the night. Um but then it's it's then you're at the end of the night and it's you're saying good night. Um, and of course, there's sections on, you know, handling any snags or problems that happen. Um, think like spills, you know, issues <laughs> um, like that. And then there's a whole section on specifically formally hosting these events, because for most of us and Dan, correct me if I'm wrong, but most of us, our dinner parties will be nice. But whether or not you'd put them in the category of formal is different. And I think those formal dinner parties really are formal. It's a, it is a written invitation that goes out and people dress up and it is timely. You're not getting text messages of, Oh, I'm going to be half an hour late. It's a different ball game. And so that kind of gets its own special call out. And as Dan and I also know, that's a, that's important to people from this book. We do so much on this show to kind of bring etiquette into the everyday and explore it in the everyday. But people turn to Emily Post for formality as well and and for what to do when it is either higher stakes or you just want to celebrate in a more formal way. And so so that I thought was really important. But the entire section ends with other parties at home and it goes through brunches and lunches, luncheons, excuse me, um, tea parties, birthday parties, both for children and for adults, showers, graduation parties, housewarming parties, retirement parties. And then we break down table settings, food and drink, and then hosting house guests. And as Dan knows, we follow the whole thing with a bunch of resources. So hopefully some some guides that will either be easier or, or quicker to access some of the information. You know, it's like a little bit less of the, the storytelling narrative version of it. And like I'm so a glad more you decided guide. to share this. I, I, I wanted to ask you another question about the, the elements within the chapter that are um, writing elements, the, 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 the content. I, I'm imagining sounds really familiar to people on the show. And, you know, me, my heart starts to pitter-patter when I hear you talk about that formal 
uh, event. <laughs> and uh, but I, I also know that you've been working sort of chapter by chapter to include certain elements. And I was thinking of the the resource component as as yeah. one of those elements. And are, are you willing to talk about some of the other components yeah, that you're well, that you're trying to get into them. each and every chapter? <laughs> so one of them is actually decently long snippets from the 1922 edition, and this section actually has a, one of the longest in it. And it's I really and again, this is the stuff that sometimes it gets cut and it just depends on on how the editing process goes. But I'm, I'm going to be pushing hard for it to be kept. How a dinner is given in a great house. Y'all have heard us read that section on this show if you're a, a longer time listener. And it's a section that talks about I think it's Mrs. Worldly. Yeah, Mrs. Worldly giving a dinner party and how her Social secretary handles the list after she curates it and how, how she keeps a dinner party list going and the, the cook figures out the menu based on the, and just like how everything and who we're going to invite and why because Mrs. Highbrow and Mrs. Once were, we're going to disapprove of Mr. You know, newly so arrived. So smoking and gamble it like Mrs. Gilding's smoking habits. And so they're not the best people to have at the dinner party together. Um, but it, Emily talks about it as being a well-oiled machine. And it's, it's a, it's, it's dreamy and fanciful and few of us ever have the kind of lifestyle that would, that would reflect it. Um, but I think it gives us a real sense of how she painted a picture to give advice a lot of the time. And it's a wonderful callback tradition to her. So I, I, I threw, I put that in and I'm really hoping that it stays. But one of the others is using, using our own Emily names. That's one of the things that people, write to us about and say is the thing that most sticks out to them about an Emily Post book is her character names. She had the worldlies and the once wars, Mr. Club Window. And I don't get that one. That's like, I'm not, I fully admit, I'm like, I'm not sure what that one means. But the, the Normans and the kind hearts and the, the smart Lingtons. And, and so we've been trying to create some of those names. And that's actually one of the things I have to go back and add to this chapter because we've got a bunch of the examples from Emily's names, but we don't have any of our own samples in it yet. So it's like one of my editing notes is like, okay. You got to go put that into this chapter. And where's, you know, if we are going to do statistical information, where's that going to go? That's another thing that might end up. But it's it's a beast. This is I'll, I'll be very interested to see whether this chapter gets broken up into five separate chapters or whether it remains itself. Um, it's it's it is a beast of a chapter. <laughs> It is, and I've. It's about thirty thousand words. Like that's a book on its own. (laughs) I've heard you wrestling with this one, and I'm so appreciative and so glad that you were willing to talk about some of it here on the show because it's it is that behind the curtain etiquette conversation that was the conceit of this podcast when we first launched it, and and it's a really rich (laughs) opportunity to hear you try to wrestle it all into place. Well, thank you. It's it's really nice to get to share it. I feel as as Dan knows because he's just started reading and editing with me. You can feel very like alone and in your head with this massive thing, and it's like really great to get to the point where you feel vulnerable enough and okay with that vulnerable vulnerability to to start really dissecting it to make it better. And it's it's a hard. It, Kelly Williams Brown and I were talking last night about how that is a very hard part of this process that you you work something you hone it you're proud of it it's a volume of content 
and you literally hand it over to other people to say, you know, shred it and let like then let me work on it again. <laughs> You're a braver woman than I. <laughs> well, we certainly hope that this gives you a taste for what is coming in this this wonderful book that we are working on. Thank you so much for taking a chance and sharing with us. Please do keep us posted. <laughs> well, guys. This is to be a guessing game on table manners. Betty, our hostess, is having a few of her friends to her home for a birthday party. She has been to any number of little parties like this, but this is the first time she has given a party all by herself. Like everyone else, she thinks that her etiquette is perhaps not perfect, but good enough so that there are no glaring errors. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Today, we have a voicemail from Brianne. Hi, my name is Brianne. I wanted to give a salute to my best friend, Sarah. She's a childhood friend who luckily planned a like last-minute trip out to my house in February before all the craziness happened. And... <laughs> The weekend presented a lot of life challenges. I had a dentist appointment that was unable to get switched to make room for our for her trip, and she very graciously offered to watch my children while I went on this appointment. And the appointment ended up running very long, and when it did run long, at the same time, our new mattress was also delivered early to my poor, wonderful friend who had my two children and the mattress people in my house while I was there on her vacation. And obviously I was very mortified, but she was just such an angel about the whole thing. And every time I've brought it up since, just like joking or apologizing, you know how you do. She's just always told me to forget about it and was so great. And I just wanted to send her a salute. She listens to this podcast too. She actually is the one that showed me it a few years ago, and I just am obsessed with it. You guys do a great job, but I just wanted to send a salute to Sarah for not ending our friendship and leaving my house and my children to their own devices after the day went crazy for her. So I appreciate you guys so much, and it's been great to listen to this podcast throughout these times, and thank you for all you do. Bye. Brienne, that's such a great salute. Any friend who is willing to watch your children for you definitely deserves a salute. Yes, because... <laughs> Absolutely. And like a double, triple salute for introducing you to awesome etiquette also. I really hope that she's still listening and this arrives as a very pleasant surprise. That is such a gift. The other thing I have to say is that speaking from the perspective of a parent who missed some dentist appointments himself early on <laughs> in the pandemic and almost lost a tooth over it. I am I'm just so grateful that you were able to get there and that everything worked out. Brianne, thank you so much for the salute. And thank you for listening. And thank you to everyone who sent us something or supports us on Patreon. Please do connect with us and share this show with friends, family, or coworkers, however you like to share podcasts. You can send us questions, feedback, and salutes by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. By phone, you can leave us a voice message or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. 
on Instagram, we are at Emily Post Institute. And on Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. Please consider becoming a sustaining member. You can find out more about this by visiting patreon.com slash awesome etiquette. You can also subscribe to the ads version of our show on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. And please consider leaving us a review. It definitely helps with our show rankings, which helps more people find awesome etiquette. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine and assistant produced by Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Thanks, Chris Chris and and Bridget. Bridget.